Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Back for some more. I see it, but I don't believe it. Uh, talking more AFLW today, and I'm very lucky to have big advocate for women's footy, Luke Ferguson, here today because we're going to talk about one of my favourite memories of 2017. Uh, and it's not Melbourne just missing the grand final on percentage, it is the AFLW grand final, the inaugural AFLW They'll grand final. They'll be at that soon enough. I reckon they'll be up there this season. Bloody better. <laughs> yeah, two years in a row missing the final on percentage kills me. Hopefully it doesn't come down to another round seven preliminary. Oh, my yes. God. Sorry, I just had to as the Bulldogs fan here. Ah, oh, it's so upsetting. <laughs> so the 2017 AFLW grand final, um, I, it's kind of um, disappointing how both AFLW grand finals to this point have been kind of marred by a controversy in the lead-up to it, and it's never been the focus on the game itself. Um, obviously, 2018 was all, with all the Katie Brennan stuff, which we won't go into because I have many opinions. Mm-hmm. But this one was around the ground um, issues. But let's set the scene a little bit, which is my favourite thing to do on this program. Personally, I would have had the 2018 grand final. I wouldn't have overall, but... Yeah. Yeah. Goodness. We know what is after granny. So it's Adelaide and Brisbane. So Brisbane's lead up to this to this grand final. Their coach is Craig Stasevich. This is the inaugural season. Um, so no one thought Brisbane was going to do any any good in the first season. A lot of people had them predicted to be a wooden spooner. Um, Likewise with the Crows. No, no, very few had them to be good at all. I, I think people just forgot they existed in a way pre-season. I think a lot of people also felt that, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think also the factor of um, the uh, South Australia, Northern Territory sort of yeah. double uh, connection there, uh, which proved to be a strength for them in the end. Uh, but, yeah, certainly that was a factor that um, I think, you know, even reading like Sam Lane's Raw, which is a fabulous book that every fan of women's footy and AFLW um, should read, but... Her sort of account of, um, or her speaking with uh, Beck Goddard mm. um, and their account of sort of bringing together that team um, is really interesting um, in particular. And it'll be fascinating to see how uh, not Melbourne go this season too with their Tasmanian uh, connection as well, um, the link up between uh, sort of north based in obviously in Arden Street, but also with uh, yeah the Tasmanian link too. So the Crows really showed it could work, but at the start of the first season of AFLW, yeah, I think no one expected no one really expected the Crows or all of Brisbane to do well and proved a lot of doubt is wrong. But I think a lot of that too can be uh, probably traced back to Victorian oh, bias, nice. which I think I'll, I'll be the first to put my hand up and think we're biased, <laughs> uh, very very biased when it comes to that kind of stuff. But because it was so new, it, it really was just a total sort of. Um, impossible to predict sort of situation mm. and even Fremantle was predicted to do really well mm. but ultimately struggled uh, mightily because of so many injuries and everything that affected them but you know even going into season two like the Crows were right up there again and, and, and they were thereabouts but they ultimately couldn't replicate 
their success of the previous season in season two, but then you no know, Carlton. I remember at the start, SCN had like a magazine called Preview, and Vessio was on there with Aaron Phillips saying how Carlton are going to be the um, great sort of success of season two, and they went on to win the wooden spoon um, in the women's as well as the men's. So, <laughs> which I love to mention. <laughs> yeah, I, I figured you might enjoy that ref, but uh, <laughs> yeah, like really. Um, it was. It, it is interesting because it is. It, it is really hard to predict. Uh, I think even heading into season three, like I couldn't possibly tell you because the Bulldog. A lot of popular predictions will probably say North and even maybe the Cats to an extent because um, they're such great unknowns. But it is really hard to tell, and I think particular with the first season, it really was. Um, to me, I, I really thought it was interesting that they went on to be the teams they were, and Brisbane have really proven themselves to be the benchmark. Mm. Uh, both on the field but also off the field uh, just with the club culture that they've built in Starkers is really obviously a huge part of that and the players that they have both experienced um, as well as the younger players that they're coming through but a lot of the leaders of that club in particular like Zilke and Laws Arnell who's going up there now too but players like you know Sab, Sabrina Fritchie-Traub Wisher and Co and um, obviously uh, Katie Ashmore before she uh, has so since gone. gone to um the kangaroos but they just had such a um, great mix of players up there i guess and yeah i guess sorry we've gone on a bit of a tangent mm-hmm. there but yeah it, it really is interesting to sort of look back on those predictions as is always the case of any given um uh, footy season but in particular because it was the first it, yeah. it just really was no way to predict how it would pan out and every game just has so much importance to it even with it being the seven rounds like every game obviously counts but it was so unique in its own right because it was you know, history in the making. Mm. So Brisbane, uh, for the season, they had two marquee players like every other team. So their marquee players were Sabrina Frederick-Traub and Taylor Harris. Um, their captain, oh, that's right. Yeah, their captain was Emma Zilke, who I adore. Um, and they, were, they, they went undefeated for the season. They did succumb to a draw in the final round versus Carlton, but that was very much resting some players and, and not kind of... Um, causing injury to many of their players because they'd already kind of set their, like, booked their grand final spot with a round to play. Um, Adelaide, though, um, Beck Goddard was their coach. Love Beck Goddard. Their marquee players were Chelsea Randall and Kelly Gibson, who, again, no longer there. Um, and their captains, Chelsea Randall and Aaron Phillips, who was kind of the breakout star of that season. Um, as you mentioned, their playing list was split across South Australia and the Northern Territory, so they were doing a lot of training sessions and meetings via Skype and all that sort of stuff. So um, it's hard to make a team click when you haven't really trained together very much. Um, they weren't, as you said, on too many pre, uh, premiership predicted lists, mm-hmm. but they also weren't predicted to be wooden spooners like Brisbane were. They were just kind of a nothing team to people. Um, and they looked really unstoppable until they came up against a fortnight against Melbourne and Brisbane. Brisbane and Melbourne, um, where they, they kind of faltered. But they, again, Melbourne bloody missed out on percentage. So Adelaide got up. Um, I'm not bitter at all. Um, so coming towards the final, uh, there was obviously the issue of the ground. So Brisbane won the right to, to the home ground advantage, meaning the Gabba, because they finished a game and a half ahead of anyone else. Um, the Gabba's infamous uh, curator kicked up a stink complained, talked about cricket pitches, talked about Adele concerts uh, and it forced the conversation about the grand final being a curtain raiser for the men's Q clash which 
is very frustrating and disappointing because their grand final should have been a standalone game because it's Absolutely. a grand final. Um, it should have been at their home ground. It shouldn't have been forced off, but what can you do? But the other frustration is that the conversation leading up to the grand final wasn't about the game when it should have been because they're two teams that came from nowhere that no one expected them to do what they did. They were both wonderful to watch. They both had really interesting stories behind a lot of their players. So Brisbane have Kate McCarthy, who's got a pacemaker, and she kicked that amazing running goal. And there are all these kind of strings that could be intertwined into this game. But the conversation was about what ground they could play on because there were all these obstacles in their way. So it was decided that they play at Metricon Stadium as a curtain raiser to the men. Ah, grand final. It did give me a great amount of satisfaction to see that, and I'm fairly sure that the um, the grand final outdrew in terms of crowd numbers because yes. you had the crowd turn out for the grand final, but then they weren't sticking around for a cube clash nope. uh, in the men's game. So to see, obviously, yeah, the, the strong crowd turn out for that grand final despite all those circumstances was definitely positive for sure. But you're absolutely right. It's it's the AOW grand final. It's not a Blake Owen razor. Uh, and it obviously was deeply disappointing that it wasn't played at the Gabba where it should have been. But hopefully uh, going forward, such sort of circumstances, you know, we can, we can learn from that going forward. But you're absolutely right. And it, it is disappointing, even with the in season two, with everything around, um, Kevin Lee mentioned earlier, uh, the, the focus on these two great teams that had made this grand final, likewise with season uh, two, with the Bulldogs and Brisbane again, uh, going back to back in grand final appearances. The, the focus isn't so much on the game itself in many regards, but there's these other sort of talking points that draw attention away when the focus really should be on these fantastic teams, and especially in that first season, you know. Uh, like you've already said, Brisbane and the Crows weren't seen as premiership favourites. Brisbane and Wiley were seen sort of as a team that wouldn't go very far, mm-hmm. and boy, did they prove everyone wrong in the two seasons since because... Um, as far as I personally am concerned, I think they're the benchmark on and off the field. Starchuk is probably the best AFLW coach, uh, given that Goddard has sadly um, no longer uh, coaching in the AFLW, but he's right up there as well. And his uh, chapter is, again, just as another sort of mini plug, I guess, of Sam Lane's Raw, which I don't know if said off there. Yeah, I haven't said it yet. yet. But definitely, if you want to lend me. I can lend you my copy exactly yes. honest, because I've read it. Uh, but for any of you that haven't read it yet, you absolutely have to. It's it's essential reading for any fan of women's footy. Uh, and, yeah, so reading his chapter um, as well as Beck's as well, uh, it is really fascinating to get an insight, but particularly for Stark, it's coming from the men's game and then his introduction into the women's game and women's football it is, it is, it's a fascinating read and the culture and the sort of culture that he's brought with the women's team up there and those players, like you said, like uh, Kate McCarthy and Zilke and such, they really have built something quite special and I think this season I have no doubt they'll be right up there again. Yeah. They've had some off-season departures and they've got some players that will be missing um, for injury as well, like Sophie Conway, but Nonetheless, I think any team that's got Sabrina Frederick-Troll up forward leading them is a team that will be uh, tough to compete with. And I think as well, Wusha will be right up there as a leader. She's amazing. She's incredible. Wusha is phenomenal. I'm such a fan. Absolutely, likewise. Um, Yeah, so after all the ground talk, Metricon Stadium, 25th of March. So it was round 
two of the men's season, round one of the men's season. Yeah, I think it was within those first couple of opening rounds. Yeah. Not too sure. I think it might have been around one or two. So the attendance at this game was 15,610, which is awesome. So good, especially in a state that um, isn't known for being a big like AFL kind of Aussie rules footy state. For them to draw that crowd up there was was super impressive. Fantastic result, yeah. yeah. And particularly with the struggles of the men's teams, both for Brisbane men's and the Gold Coast men's at the time, yeah, at the time. And although Brisbane are much um, a much better place now, as we talk today, heading into the, uh, the 2019 season, but certainly um, even just the two years ago, they had really been struggling, and, and the women's team really were shining light for. Aussie rules footy in that state and continue to be, you know, like I said, the benchmark I personally think in the AFRW at least. So it really was such a fantastic sort of um, sort of thing. And I think with the introduction of Gold Coast as well, I think the Gold Coast women team is going to be very good yeah. as well. And I think that Queensland footy and Queensland women's footy more specifically is only so going to benefit yeah. from the introduction of – if there's any state that I think can absolutely have to – like the two teams. Obviously, Victoria is a bit of a different case just because it is got it's all the teams. State, yeah. yeah. But in that way, I think Queensland does have a really rich history of um, footy, but it isn't, as you said, you know, the predominant code in that sense. But women's footy up there is really, really strong. And a lot of the players that have come from that state is a testament to that. And I think the introduction – of Gold Coast uh, in 2020 is going to be great for that state. And I think the, the uh, clashes between those two teams will be really great to watch and unfold with the history there, as well as uh, over in WA too. WA is another state where there's a really strong um, sort of history of women's footy there, as is um, with plenty of other states. But again, with the introduction of the Eagles soon to be as well. And a little added sort of um, bit of uh, spice there with Mitch Cohen um, <laughs> with the Eagles now. But the Eagles and the Dockers also, it'll be really exciting to see. I am really looking forward to 2020 in particular with the introduction of the other four teams. I, it'll be interesting to see how they go um, in terms of just the player talent. Um, but I think that talent is coming through as we see long players. And I think Sophie Conway in particular oh, for Brisbane um, is a testament to that for them in terms of some of their younger players. And it's so devastating that she's out injured uh, but I think Brisbane have shown with departures like Taylor Harris you know Taylor Harris leaving at the end of season one into season two was a big talking point and Brisbane I think it showed fixed Brisbane's yeah. structure though and it allowed Wushna to really kind of come into her own mm-hmm. and not knocking Taylor Harris but I don't think Taylor Harris is the big forward goal kicker I think she's the conduit between the midfield and the forwards uh, but Brisbane needed people that were going to kick goals, and Wushna is a traditional full forward that has really it shows the goal sense. Yeah. Whereas Taylor Harris, I find, is more a high half forward, and it worked better for Brisbane, I think, after she even, departed. Even McCarthy and Zilke like their midfields as well, and then some forwards like they have a real, they are really like potent side in terms yeah. of their goal kicking and their avenue to goal, even with um, land from the front, I guess, in a way, with uh, Sabrina Frederick Troll. But it'll be really exciting to see how they go uh, this season. But like I said, I think they really did show in season one and continue in season two to show why they're the benchmark. And, and the Crows as well, despite not making it um, back-to-back in terms of grand final appearances, they'll continue to be quite good too. I mean, Noffy at Marinoff is an absolute star um, and will continue to be. So it really, it really that first grand final, like it, it's fascinating because for so much, like there's so much history there um, and the significance there, the history of it and the history making um, as we sort of witnessed firsthand with these teams. But even in, you know, the scope, the span of like the two seasons heading into the third one, you know, a team like Brisbane has already emerged as this real benchmark mm. that other AFLW clubs can aspire to both on and off 
the field in that sense and really have shown, you know, to other clubs, you know, you need to get your act together because this is what this team's capable of. They've already made back-to-back grand finals and I don't have any doubt that they'll be capable of making it again. Though now as I say this, I hope I don't turn out to be. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Be horribly wrong. <laughs> so the game itself. <laughs> Um, the Crows got the first goal super quickly through one of my favourite players. It was a, it was actually a much better goal than I think people have given it credit for. And with Kelly Gibson, she was on the boundary. It was kind of a flying shot at goal across her body, um, and it just sailed through. And it was a really amazing goal, and it was within the first minute of the game. Um, so it kind of set the scene that no one, no one was taking this lightly. Everyone was all in for it. Um, and and Aaron Phillips was the presence she'd been all season, really strong and um, doing a lot of those things all over the ground that she'd been doing all season. And I think that was reflected in the Crows in 2018 in the fact that they they did struggle without her because they were yeah. probably too reliant with, on her. And with her injury struggles as well. I mean, she came into that season, I think, um, relatively injured. I think, yeah, even in the game where they are... Sat in full length yeah, four goals but barely goals. moved. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, um, um, unfortunate sort of win over the Bulldog, my, uh, my doggies. But, um, yeah, like, you know, she, she still kicks four goals on one leg, in a yeah. sense. It just It's a testament to the, sort of the elite uh, professional sort of sporting background that she's come from and the professionalism there and just what an incredible player that she is. Yeah. And then um, in the third quarter, it, w- it was tight the whole match and then in the third quarter, another goal that goes underrated for how difficult it was to do and how good it was, was um, Sab Frederick Traub's, it was like a volley goal where she didn't take possession of the ball. She just kind of kicked it out of the air. And it was amazing. And I'm I'm fairly sure that kind of got them back within a couple of goals because they were looking a bit down and out. But it was these little things that kept uh, Brisbane in at the whole game. And yeah, they never looked out of it, for sure. No, yeah. it didn't allow Adelaide to get out to too much of a lead where it was unwinnable. It was Brisbane just kept them kind of within reach the whole time. Uh, but that volley goal was so good. I'll share, um, I'll share a highlight of that goal because it was amazing. Um, and I love Sam Frederick. And then uh, midway through the fourth, Taylor Harris kicked a goal that got the Lions within a goal of Adelaide. And it, this is where it, all the tension built. And watching, I remember watching this and I was going for Brisbane at the time. Um, was. Yeah. I remember it well too. Because I... that tension. Well, I love, I loved who played on their team, but also I felt like Brisbane had the right to win because they turned consistently across the season that they, they, were, they were the team that um, everyone wanted from the AFLW, they were consistent, they were winning games, but also uh, they were likeable and all those sorts of things. They were kind of like the perfect team. Whereas Adelaide, you did see like they had a bit of mongrel in them and they mm-hmm. um, they were a little bit too reliant on Aaron Phillips and they had lost those couple of games and things like that. So it was like you just 
I was just willing Brisbane over the line. And then, yeah, it gets it gets so tight with that Harris goal. And then my big issue with the AFLW, especially in this first season, was no time on. That so much time could be wasted by not giving the ball back straight away and things like that. And that annoyed the crap out of me to the point where it actually proved so costly to Brisbane at the end of this final mm-hmm. because there was that um, on the wing... That free kick paid to, oh, I can't remember who it was now, but it took so long for the Adelaide player to get the ball back to them and you just knew time was ticking over mm. because that's just how the game was going with no time on. And Brisbane were peppering the forward line but couldn't get that clean possession inside the forward 50. But they just kept Macrose, pressing, kept pressing, kept pressing. Macrose pressure was pretty manic too. I think yeah. in particular, you know, like Ebony Marinoff, Noffy is a tackling machine. Uh, she proved that with the uh, Darren Falcons too when she played for them in the VFLW um, well, the following season as well. She averaged 10 tackles a game in the yeah, 2017 season. Exactly. So I think that pressure was a real testament to the Crows too. They were really frantic in that regard. And it just was it was such a tight game. It really could have gone in a way that meant that every, you know, every single goal counted. And unfortunately, in those dying seconds, there were just a few moments there, just a few passages of play that just couldn't quite yeah. go right for the Lions. And in the end, the Crows uh, prevailed. But you're right. And it's unfortunate. Certainly, I think you can't take away from the Crows' uh, win in that regard with the rules. But it, it is frustrating when you have the controversies around the ground, for instance, like you mentioned before, but things with like the, the rules as well. And, and yes... AFLW and women's footy is a different game to the men's game. They certainly can't and are not the same in that regard. And there are those elements that are unique about both of them and why we love them so much. Mm. But at the same time, in terms of the way the AFL has, or AFL House, I guess, and the execs have handled uh, the way they've put together rules, experimenting with changes to rules and introduction to new rules that you're not seeing introduced in the men's. And it's like, well, are you using AFLW as the premier national competition or level for women's footy or are you treating it as a way to tinker and experiment with rule changes because you're afraid of introducing it in the men's because of the inevitable backlash despite the fact that there's a clear vocal backlash in the women's game as well so it it is frustrating when things like that come about Mm. um, to no faults and no sort of part on the players and, and all they can really do is just cop it on the chin and just go hard at it and um and focus on on the footy and on the game, um, which I think obviously the Crows and the, uh, the Lions no doubt did, uh, despite all you know all the sort of speculation on the controversy and everything around the game. Ultimately, it was still a really memorable, fantastic game of footy um, as well. And ultimately, it's a, it's a testament to the Crows, um, you know, for that, their success that season and everything that um, that God I was able to achieve as the coach and the coaching staff there. Like you said, the situation with um, South Australian Northern Territory, there's players coming together, but. Also a testament to Erin Phillips and just Erin Phillips is amazing. Yeah, she is. Uh, and just such an incredible athlete, um, incredible player and just such an important sort of, I guess, role model and figure, both in women's footy but also just like just as an individual and just her story and her upbringing too as someone that didn't get to play um, footy, even though she you know, lived and breathed in her family, mm. um, connections to football um, and went away and played in the WNBA and had a really successful and uh, great career playing basketball over in the US so for her to come back I think you know even if I don't know I imagine she'll, she'll play obviously this season and hopefully she may have another season too beyond that too but ultimately you know one has to wonder you know if, if AFLW and this top sort of national level had been introduced earlier would we have gotten to see you know an Aaron Phillips 
even better than she already is. Um, well, yeah, you feel that way about yeah. players and like Mark Hope and Daisy Pierce. Hutchins is one that springs to mind yeah. for me, especially. All too. those players that are incredible, but could be so much more. Yeah, and in the sense that they're... Not to say that they're past the prime, because they're certainly not um, in that sense, but rather just... But your body it's, it's, can only hold up yeah, for so long. And, the, and certain players that really we're only able to see for that first season mm. or two, because they are older um, and at a later stage in their playing career, uh, whether that's at the national level in AFLW or in the state level, playing BFLW or other state-level uh, um, competitions across the, um, across the country. So... Certainly, you have that mix of mm. those players, and and we are really fortunate that we've been able to see Aaron Phillips play at the highest level um, for women's footy, and really fortunate because, you know, you're right. Like she played and has had a, had that great career in the WNBA, but really, you know, from the moment that she picked, you know, from the first game, we could see just how natural it came to her. You know, what you could make the argument that you know it's footy runs in the family, or it's in her blood, but at the same time, I think it's just a testament to the incredible athlete and the professionalism and the elite sort of level professionalism that she brought from the WNBA and that background to that Crows team as a really important leader of that club. And you see even like Cora Staunton for the Giants mm. and her background uh, from Ireland as well. Um, was it professional Gaelic? Yeah. Yeah, like her background as well. And other sort of um, athletes that have come from other elite other backgrounds uh, you just see how talented they are and the level of professionalism that they can bring. And and it's it's certainly there in AFLW and it's certainly there in the clubs and it's going to continue to be. But obviously, AFLW still you know, heading to Season 3 relatively to other competitions, including other women's competitions, that professionalism is something that we as fans and supporters want to keep advocating for and pushing for that increase, whether it's the quality of the grounds, for example, the Gabba. Um, but the Brisbane yeah. are going to have a new ground scene, which is really fantastic to see. Um, as well, uh, for, uh, the training ground facilities for their um, men and women's teams, but even things like um, you know, whether it's the facilities or the access to training, the length of the competition, or pathways I, into, pathways the into it as well. well for the draft. But particularly, you know, I, I should strongly and vocally support you know and advocate for like the need for a full home and away season. Yeah. I think inevitably it will probably have to overlap with the men's comp in that way, but. We have that already with the VFL men's and the VFL women's, but at the same time, I think you know, seeing some of these players that having to play in that extreme heat conditions because of the summer, I, I would like to see the length of the competition increase. But unfortunately, right now, that's just not where I guess the AFL house and AFL execs sort of see it with the whole conference system, which uh, is a, another conversation in of itself in a sense. Uh, but as well as that, but also just things like paying the players a full-time professional wage that they are entitled to as professional athletes. So all those sort of factors, I think, are things that in the first season, last year, in the second season as well, I think the third will continue to be big talking points. But at the same time, really, that grand final in particular was just such a testament to this incredible, incredible talented players, these incredible teams uh, in Brisbane and the Crows, but also all the other teams as well. But Really, it's it's just so exciting to see where things will go, and you know, obviously, it's so excited for season three because you know it'll only continue to get better and better. Mm. Um, but as fans, I suppose, obviously, we want to keep pushing to see that it can be the best that it can be. Yeah. So this game ended up being a golden margin, and it was almost like Adelaide nearly kicked themselves out of it, but because mm. they kicked four goals eleven, and they could have really taken taken their chances a little bit more, and if they yeah. had, they 
it wouldn't have been the situation that it was right at the end. I Meaning that Brisbane, yeah, that Brisbane never quite out of it. Yeah, too, because they always sort of kept touch with sort of goal for goal. Um, but somewhat appropriately, uh, the siren goes with the ball in Aaron Phillips' hands uh, after a tackle from Sam Frederick Traub, two of the biggest names in the game in the grand final. Obviously, Sab devastated and Aaron Phillips very, very happy. But um, it it was a game that, despite all the negative comments about the women's league that we're obviously still receiving, but um, despite all that, it did show a lot of talent and it showed a lot of resilience and it was the kind of game that we all want the AFLW to be. Like, we want it to be a contested brand of football, which is what they've been giving us and... It might be low scoring, but it doesn't mean it's not entertaining. And this game Every really goal encapsulated has it. Significance. Every goal is important. And personally, like me personally, I really love those low scoring games because it really is so tightly contested. And again, like we said earlier, you know, the women's game, women's football, is different to men's football mm. for many great reasons and, and strengths to it. Um, that obviously goes back to VFLW as well as other sort of state-level women's competitions in the history of women's football across the decades, dating back, you know, even to century, to century even. Um, but, like, obviously, it is a different game, and that low story sort of tightly contested nature of the game, really. In a way, I think, in that first season and even in the second season, there was a lot of comparison, you know, that the AFLW, uh, in a way, felt like it harkened back to an old era of men's football, and mm. we don't like to really compare the men and women's games in that way, but... One of the things that I absolutely love about the AFLW is that it's played at suburban grounds. I love that the Bulldogs play at Wooden Oval and I love that the Blues play at Princess Park because it means I can easily go down to Princess Park and watch the Blues uh, play, whether it's the Giants or my doggies or whichever teams it may be, you know, getting to as many games as we can. And I'm really looking forward to this year in particular because Colin would be playing at Victoria oh, Park. I'm so excited. So, so excited for that. I'm so glad that they're doing that because Victoria Park is a great ground. It's also a very close ground to me. Yes, so same. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to getting along to Victoria Park to watch some games there. But yeah, I think that the sort of going to those local sperm grounds is a real strength to AFLW in a way that the men's game has sort of drifted away from um, in recent um, in the last sort of couple of decades. So I think that's a real strength to it as well. And that style of game, the way that it's played, really that tight sort of closely contested game, like I really think it plays to the strengths that every goal is meaningful, every tackle is significant. And I think that that grand final really drew attention to that. And even the second grand final in 2018 between the Doggies and the Lions, again, quite low scoring, uh, really wet, uh, sluggish conditions, but then the weather conditions did improve and the sun comes out because it's Melbourne and it's four seasons in a day. Yep. But I think that sort of type of football, you get the critics, you get the armchair experts that will say, you know, oh, it's low scoring, it's not entertaining to watch. And I'm like, well, you have high scoring and low scoring games in men's footy, just as you have in the women's game. You can have the Bulldogs score, you know, 80 plus points against Carlton at Wooden Oval in a game where the Bulldogs absolutely play breathtaking, you know, champagne football, while unfortunately Carlton actually struggled that evening. But then you also get other high scoring games between the D's and the Giants and other teams, as well as those low scoring games. Mm. And I think that's that's just footy. That's the beauty of football. That's the beauty of the game in that you will have all of these different types of games and you have all these different suburban grounds and grounds that have all different dimensions and everything like that. There's a history to that. So. And while I don't like to get on this topic very much because it's a never-ending battle with a lot of people, <laughs> we'll end it by saying the women's games are much shorter than the men's games with no time on. It's much more difficult to score over 100 points 
when you don't have as much game time. Exactly. And that's where we're going to end this episode if I see it, but I don't believe it. Uh, we've been talking about the 2017 AFLW Grand Final. There are some great highlights packages that you can watch for free online, so please go and watch them. But I will share that uh, highlight of Sir Frederick Trop's volleyball because it's amazing. Uh, thank you so much for coming, Luke. I appreciate you. you coming to chat, and uh, hopefully I can have you back to chat on I See It But I Don't Believe It Again. We'll be back in a couple of days, and uh, catch up. 